Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Week two of the college football season always feels a little weird because week one is so long. We barely recovered and it's just about time to ramp up again. Joining me to wrap up week one, preview week two, and talk about the big news in playoff expansion is Brett McMurphy from Action Network. We'll discuss whether a 12-team playoff, a 12-team college football playoff, can be implemented by the 2024 season and what it will take to get it done. Then I'll get Brett's thoughts on voting in the AP Top 25 after a week of regular season results. There seems to be no team clearly worthy of being number four, so Brett kind of went off the board and got a little creative with his. Finally, we'll do our five most intriguing games of week two. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find the show at APPodcast.com, where you can find my colleague Rob Motti's NFL Podcast. You can also find us, of course, at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please, please, please give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, my friend, Brett McMurphy from Action Network. Brett, we uh, we're, we have a season. It, it feels a little weird at the very beginning of the season because week one takes forever, and it's awesome, but it takes forever. And then it bleeds into week two when you find yourself like it's Tuesday, but I have to start thinking about next week already. But we just got done with last week. So we haven't really gotten into our routine yet, but the season is very much here. And how are you feeling about the season so far? Uh, Other than looking like an idiot for putting Nebraska number 25 on my preseason ballot, things are great, Ralph. (laughs) You, you You were quick to try to spike the ball pretty early on that one, too. Like the first drive yeah. of the game. <laughs> but I did come back, and of course, after I was, I think, inducted into the Freezing Cold Takes Hall of Fame, I uh, mentioned that I am, for those Seinfeld fans, I yes, I am Costanza, Lord of the Idiots. So, <laughs> you know, you hit and miss, and uh, that was a big miss, and I bought into Nebraska's got to be better. They can't lose all the close games again, and Scott Frost said, I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> hey, man, at least you didn't pick Oregon to make the playoff like I did. So, <laughs> so that, you know, I didn't, they're, still, I, they're still technically alive. I mean, I didn't think they would beat Georgia. I thought that they could play respectable enough in losing to Georgia that they could get into Pac-12 play and then, you know, do their thing and and look like a, a the most talented team in the Pac-12, which is what they were supposed to be. But they were so bad against Georgia, like, I don't see this happening. Like, I know Georgia is awesome. They are now the number two team in the country, according to the AP poll, which published right before we I started uh, uh, recording here with Brett. And that said, like Georgia can be a juggernaut, but that was not an acceptable performance by a team that should that was ranked at the beginning of the year. So anyway, we all have our swings and misses before we even get into the games and maybe a little reaction to week two and how you set up your ballot or excuse me, week one and how you set up your ballot uh, after this crazy weekend of opening games. 
there was big news at the end of last week, which I didn't have a chance to deal with on a podcast because we recorded so early last week. And that is, Brett, the playoffs going to expand. <laughs> I mean, we all kind of knew it was going to happen eventually. And now the question is not 12, 16, 8, 72, 42, 3, 9. The question is, we know it's 12, but can it be done by 2024? Do you think, and do the people you talk to think, I know it's going to be challenging, but do you think it can be done by 2024? I think the key, Ralph, is that the presidents have told the commissioners, find a way to get this done. So there's no, you know, there's no question they want this to happen early. The thing is, and I was surprised that Bill Hancock actually said this on the call after the announcement about, you know, what will determine if you can do that or not. And he said primarily plain date availability. So that means two things to me. One, it means TV windows. The NFL, which non-NFL fans may not know this, recently added Super Wild Card Weekend, which means they play on Mondays now. That could conflict with college football playoffs because the college football playoff is not going to go head-to-head at any time with the NFL. So is there any available spots? Um, something else that I asked Bill about, about you know, the, the campus first-round sites, you know, c- could the selection committee force a school out of their home stadium and or do they have to approve a neutral site if you want to move a game for some reason off campus to a neutral site. And he kind of remarked and said, well, it has to be prepared to be able to host that type of a playoff game with logistical stuff, hotels, press box, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I didn't have a chance to do a follow-up, but the more I thought about that, Ralph, I thought, God, I hope that doesn't happen. Cause I remember covering the 2010 Nevada Boise game and the press box is about the size of your closet, and you know that a very was a huge big. Clo- I might have a very big closet. You don't even you don't know that, Brad. I might have a very big yeah, closet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not not two not two stories, but I mean it was it was it was small and it was yeah. you know yeah I know what you're talking about. Boise playing for a chance for the BCS game, and and I'm sitting next to Stuart Mandel, and the guy behind us tells us to open the window, and it's like thirty degrees out, and we're like we're freezing, and he's like. Uh, you need to open the window. And we're like, it's too cold. And he goes, I'm the scorekeeper. I have to hear the whistle so I can start and stop the clock. And we look at each other like this game's basically for, you know, $6 million for Boise if they win the game. And they're relying on a guy to hear the whistle like a high school game. So I'm afraid if Nevada ever is in that position again, they will not be hosting that at home. But I guess your original question They've been told to get this done, but if there are no dates available for when they want to get it done in such a short period and other factors, then they're probably going to have to wait. Yeah, the um, the the dates, the, the the TV dates are so important too. And you're right. I mean, I, I I've said even before we got to this point, when I started looking at the schedule and seeing how this might work out with the NFL about to you know expanding its season and then expanding its wild card weekend. I'm just going to tell you, folks, like, get ready to see semifinals played during the week. 
Like this, if you think that they're gonna they're gonna have Saturdays for most of these games, you are way off. Like Saturdays and Sundays, because the NFL is gonna be grabbing those. Like you're gonna have it's not just a championship game that's probably gonna they're gonna try to find a Monday for the championship game, and that should be okay if you look at where Wild Card Weekend goes. Like I think they should be okay on the championship games. Maybe, maybe not. But I, I think you're going to have semifinals played during the week, too. Like, the NFL is just a beast, and it's just taken up. And can they get that done short-term with also sites that need to be changed? You know, like, they were probably going to pick Vegas if it was an expanded playoff as a site for one for the 24-25 championship game. And they ended up going with Atlanta because the Vegas dates were going to be hard for the four-team playoff. Do you switch back now and give it to Vegas if Atlanta can't do it? So those things are going to be tricky for 24, at the very least 24. I think they'll get it done by 25 because basically the president said, get this done. Yeah, and I, you know, I mentioned, you know, back when – they proposed the, the expanded playoff last year, and I would remark that you know they got to they got to figure this out quickly because the NFL is going to grab up all the dates. Like obviously you you've researched, and I was half joking, half serious, but I said we end up having college football playoff games Wednesday afternoon at like two o'clock because that's going to be the only availability. And I even asked George Klyovkov that at Pac-12 Media Days, do you guys need to get this thing done because of the the NFL grabbing all the dates and he kind of dismissed it like, well, no, we'll be able to find some dates. Well, good luck. We'll see how that happens. Um, as far as the Atlanta and Miami hosting the final two 14 playoffs, unless it gets expanded, I do know that the, the RFPs that they had designates that they could host the title game either on whatever it is, January 5th or 6th, wherever those dates were, and also two weeks later. So the college football playoff also told them they had to be available for those dates. Now, once they locked in the 14 playoff, I don't know if that meant they gave up those dates and they wouldn't be able to host those those dates two weeks later. But at least what I was told is that on the contract, it says they had to be available for the current dates that it's scheduled for and also okay. two weeks after that. Okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can get, get the logistics done. I mean, you're going to have to probably do some things with the bowl. It just There's a lot to go on here. Uh, you know, I thought that part of their plan was to give an option to, and you kind of mentioned this, but yeah, I, I think that they seemed amenable to the idea of like, listen, if you can't host on your home site, we can look around to try to find something neutral that works for you for, you know, that, you know, closer to closer to your home. But um, again, to get all those things like locked in soon, it just I, again, I find it funny just from the perspective of, you know, we talked to Mississippi State's university president. Uh, Mark Keenum, who leads the board here, and the presidents basically over the last six months. And the funny thing is that they weren't hiding what they were doing. Keenum said this at SEC Media Days that like, yeah, we're going to get more involved and we'd like to have something done by early next year. And, you know, we'll probably get to meet again before the season's over. And that's exactly what they did. I, I just don't know if any of us took it as seriously as we as 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 maybe we should have at the very at the time. 
But the presidents, yeah, they basically just said, listen, we want this done. And if you don't do it, I mean, it was a little short of this. It was a little short of if you don't do it, we will take the responsibility away from you. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear. And it's funny, you know, because I know they they had all their, you know, all the commissioners and, you know, everybody was had their their talking points that was passed around to everybody on what to say. That's why pretty much everybody said the same thing. It's funny that one thing was left out of the talking points, Ralph, and that's the main reason why they're doing this. And that is boatloads and boatloads of money that they were missing out on if they didn't expand the playoff. But, you know, let's as much as 450 million extra, right? I mean, those last two years, we have been told the estimate would be about 450 million uh, over the last two years that they would have just sort of left, left behind. And it was that's the bottom line why they're doing it. And it was the the reason they access and all that, but it's, it's bogus. It's money. It's money. It's money. Yeah, and, and it was, it, it was the reason. I, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, Brett, it was the reason why I always found myself thinking there's no such thing as a deadline unless there's a real deadline. And and even I, I finally, you know, finally when they came out with the sites for 24 and 25, I think that's when I finally said, okay, we're clearly not expanding before them. Okay, I'm finally convinced that they're not expanding before them. But I always felt back in February when they made that big show of saying, no, 2024 and 25 is off the table. I always found myself thinking like, you know, if you really want to do this, you will. No, I agree. I I think when they announced the, the final two spots and the specific dates for Miami and Atlanta, I thought the same thing. I'm like, okay, they they have finally literally given up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the plane has left the runway. They're they're going to go ahead and start concentrating on uh, you know 26. But lo and behold, uh, <laughs> the president uh, said, bring the plane back. You've, you've left out some customers. <laughs> Four hundred and fifty million dollars worth of customers. Let's let's work on this again. All right. So instead of going back through the minutia of week one, let's do a little bit of this. This this will be the because we, week one again was so long. We could go back to Thursday when the backyard. I mean that that feels like last season at this point. The backyard brawl, <laughs> the the Northwestern Nebraska game is, is like six years ago at this point. We have lived and died through so many amazing games and ups and downs. So I don't want to necessarily go through minutia of week one, but I will do this. Since the AP poll is coming out, it's one time it comes out on a Tuesday because we let all the games play out. Uh, how did you go about trying to figure out what comes after number three? I don't know if you moved, you know, you moved your top three around, but Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State is the top three. Now, Georgia passes Ohio State. I don't know if anybody's got any quibbles with that. If you didn't want it to be that way, well, that's fine, too. But that you have this very, like, seemingly clear top three. What were you doing beyond top three? I keep kidding around that, like, it should go from three to eleven. Like we should just we have no there should be no four through ten we should just pop from three to eleven but you can't do that because the computer is not set up to count the votes that way so what did you do from four to ten? So I got one of those old magic eight balls and I opened it up and I put team <laughs> names on it there put it go. back together and shook it up and that's how it came out. Um, so actually I had Miami number four in my preseason top twenty five. Fortunately for me they didn't lose their their opening game to Bethune. And I just, I, I agree with everything you said. After the top three, you fall off a cliff. And there's, 
probably a dozen teams that you could make an argument should be number four. And you know what? I'd say I cannot disagree with you, but you got to pick somebody. And I picked Miami. I think they're the best team in the ACC after seeing Clemson struggle. I know they pulled away late, um, but as long as DJ's in there, Clemson's not going to win the ACC. I think NC State's better than Clemson. So anyway, I had Miami up there. I had Miami at four. I had A&M at five the first week, and then I had Utah at six. Utah loses, so they drop out. So this week, I kept Miami at four. Michigan jumped up to five for me over Utah and over A&M. A&M struggled with Sam Houston. And again, it's week to week. And then because of the filtering down of Utah, um, Baylor moved up to seven on my list. I put Florida up at eight. Yes, that's probably too high. But I also believe you need to reward teams when they win games. And, yeah, they probably should have lost um, two, two, uh, Utah two opportunities inside the five, and they don't score on either one. Um, but ultimately they won. Uh, we'll find out this week if they're legit or not. But based on that one game, I thought they deserved to be up there. And then Oklahoma State and Oklahoma come in at 9 and 10. I did not have Clemson. Uh, they were number 11 on my preseason ballot. They stayed out of my top 10 because they didn't, again, to me, they didn't do anything to warrant moving into the top 10. I know I'm in the minority on this. Miami's way outside the top 10. Clemson's, you know, up there in the top five or six. So obviously I'm, uh, you know, there's well, not a lot of people that agree with my thinking, but I just felt like Clemson in the preseason, at least it was almost like, okay, who's the top three. We need a fourth. And everyone looked around. Well, the PAC 12, they probably no one there. The big 12 kind of up in the air. Um, what's left? The ACC. Oh, Clemson always wins the ACC. Let's go with them. And it was kind of like a default mechanism. I just didn't, I just felt like losing both coordinators and I didn't know this till I actually did research. Imagine that. They had the second worst offense in the ACC last year. And I'm like, okay, well, if they can prove they've improved, then I'll move them up. But I'm just not going to automatically stamp them in at number four. But look, I, you know, anyone that says, you know, I'm dead wrong, hey, you're probably right. And anyone that says somebody else should be up there in the, in, at four, five, or six, I have no issues with that because right now, Ralph, I don't think we can, we can honestly say we can use power ratings and Vegas ratings and all that to sort it out. But based on what we've seen so far and what we think we know about these teams, it's too close to call. The only thing I know for certain is everyone is light years away from those top three. Yeah, and listen, I don't agree with you on Miami, but I could also see taking a shot. I, I do think that what ended up happening in the preseason is something of what you said. I think a lot of people sort of was like, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of go with the safe bets, and Clemson is a pretty safe bet, and Notre Dame is a pretty safe bet, and Michigan's a pretty safe bet. And my guess is it that's going to look like a, a real jumbled up situation. I will say this, and I was in and out of the Clemson game yesterday, last night, uh, not as focused as maybe I was on other games this weekend, uh, like that Florida State LSU game, which was bananas. Um, <laughs> I so so again, I don't know if I want to give like the strongest assessment here, but as I as I sort of like watch the end of the game. I still get the feeling that Clemson has enough dudes that they'll figure they'll figure out offense not necessarily to be 
awesome at offense, but to be improved at offense to an extent where going with that defense, you know, I picked them to win the ACC at the beginning of the year, and I would probably still pick them to pick them to do that. But I, but I don't necessarily think like, oh yeah, they're a playoff team. Yeah, I, I could easily see them losing once or twice within the ACC and even winning the ACC. So uh, again, don't 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 agree with you on Miami, but I also don't necessarily mind the idea of taking a shot with something a little different when so much else is 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 up in the air. Right, and I had NC State in my preseason top ten after the you know they should have lost at East Carolina. They didn't, but I still dropped them out of the top ten. Um, so I'm not just going to keep them in there because they want to they're fortunate to win a close game. Um, but you know, that's, you know, they also, you know, shuffled down a little bit in my rankings as well. All right, let's do this then. Let's start looking ahead to what should be a, a pretty interesting, like there's not like, there's not a ton of, well, the most marquee game is Alabama and Texas, but not sure how interesting that game is going to be. So the way we do things around here, is we ask our guests to rank the top five most intriguing games of the college football weekend to come. Not necessarily the best games, not necessarily the games with the ranked teams in it. Could be, doesn't necessarily have to be, but the most intriguing games, and you can define intriguing however you like, from the from the twisted mind of Brett McMurphy. However Brett wants to find <laughs> intriguing is fine by me, and I have my own most intriguing list, and we will go back and forth five through one. I think some of these games will will uh, will overlap. I think we have at least a, at least a couple of them that are similar. So I'll let you start since you are the guest. As we preview week two, and we're already like we're barely done with week one, but we're previewing week two. What is the fifth most intriguing game of the weekend, according to Brett McMurphy? Houston at Texas Tech. I picked uh, in my bold projections for the Action Network. I have Houston getting the New Year's Six bowl game based on their schedule. If they can get, they survive UTSA, if they can get past Texas Tech, they do not play Cincinnati, they do not play UCF in the regular season. I think they can go 12 and 0. I don't think with that schedule they deserve to be in the playoff um, conversation, but this is huge for them as far as their new New Year Six aspirations. Obviously, Joey McGuire there. Tech's going to play really, really fast. Dana loves to play really fast, so this could. Uh, I don't know if it's going to. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to challenge App State in North Carolina for a number of points. <laughs> But it it could look like a tennis match at times. Yeah, that could be a fun one. You sort of have uh, these two air raid descendants, uh, and Zach Kitley's offense for Texas Tech was uh, was the one that was at Western Kentucky last year. With ba- he was the offensive coordinator for Bailey Zappi, who ended up throwing for I don't know almost six thousand yards. Like I was going to say, like throw it out there as like hyperbole, but it actually almost was six thousand yards last year. So yeah, I know. So yeah, I, I love that one. It not didn't make my list, but I do love that one. So actually, my number five is the Texas, you know, Alabama game. You know, frankly, just when you get those helmets on the field together, it's kind of intriguing. I don't anticipate this game being close, but I think you have to be at least interested to see, like, how does Texas, you know, do they provide any resistance? Is this 
Is this 49-3, a repeat of Georgia-Oregon? Or does Texas at least show, like, with a new quarterback in Quinn Ewers? And, and like, I'm kind of interested to see him. I, I understand that this might not tell us a ton about Texas or Alabama because there's a fair amount of, there's a pretty big disparity between the where these programs are. But I feel like maybe it could show, I, there's just enough there that I want to watch it. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll throw te- Texas and Alabama as my number five. You are number four, Brett. Number four, uh, USC at Stanford. I want to see. I don't, USC was not tested against Rice. I think Stanford's improved. Obviously, they've they've slipped um, with David Shaw in the past couple of years. This is a huge game for them, and is you know USC put up 60-something on Rice, but that was somewhat misleading. They had a 93-yard interception return. They had two other pick sixes. Strike there is 21 points. Uh, You know, I think this, obviously, it's the first test um, for Lincoln Riley and SC, and Stanford fared well against the Trojans. They've won two of the last three against USC. Um, They're going to get their, you know, Stanford's best shot. Can Stanford play physical? And we'll see, you know, how team transfer does in in week two. Hey, it was Stanford that got Clay Helton fired last year. Yeah, it was it was that that big loss against Stanford, which was not necessarily a, a particularly good Stanford team that that decided that made USC decide, oh, we got to pull the plug on this in September. So yes, yeah, Stanford has been a headache to USC for a while. And and by the way, this game is number three on my list, so we don't have to necessarily go over it again. One thing, quick thing on Stanford. I don't know if you've talked to anybody about it, like in in depth, like David Shaw is not on the hot seat, right? I don't think that such a thing exists at Stanford, but it is a weird position that that program has been in. If they, if they don't sort of see any, trajectory change this year and they might I could see Stanford maybe getting back to bowl eligible but if they don't see any trajectory change I do find it to be a very interesting um, situation there with like you know what does Shaw do and what does Stanford do like at some point do they have to sort of come have like a come to Jesus moment here and say maybe we would both be better off going a different direction I mean he's an alum he loves that university I just find Stanford in general to be interesting and that which is another reason why this game is interesting i agree with everything you're saying it's so you know amazing because because shaw was doing while everyone was zigging he was zagging with the you know the running attack the physical style and it it worked and then now suddenly uh you know covid hit them hard but yeah it's it hasn't been successful so this obviously is a huge opportunity for them. Uh, I think we're pretty safe in predicting that if Stanford does win, USC will not fire their coach after this loss. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Uh, but it would be. It would be a, a hell of a dose of reality, right? For for a program that is now a top ten team and all the hype around them to lose to a Stanford team, which has a pretty good quarterback in Tanner McKee, by the way, would be an absolute like reality check. Okay, my number four, that was your number four. My number four is Mississippi State at Arizona. Now, this looked like not much of a contest when considering Arizona was 1-11 in 
coming into the season. But all of a sudden, Arizona, talk about, you know, getting some transfers to, to, to boost your program. Jacob Cowing and Jaden Deloria. And all of a sudden, they have a really nice win against San Diego State next week. Mississippi State and Mike Leach go over to Tucson. It's a really late start. It's I don't know. It just it just has the feel of being like a weird game, right? Like if nothing else, like Mississippi State going into that part of the country late at night. Like what, what will their focus be? Do they even know what kind of Arizona team they're going to get? So I, I think that could be a, an interesting late night game on Saturday at Mississippi State in Arizona. Right. I agree because Mississippi State's coming off the game against Memphis, and a lot of people don't realize that was like a big revenge game for Mississippi State. And send, now they have to go to Arizona, and you know Jed Fish is going to turn that thing around. And Cowing is a beast at wide receiver. Um, yeah, that that could be a tricky spot for uh, for Miss State and the SEC going going out to the desert. Okay, well, yeah. So we got my number three, which was USC Stanford. So I need your number three, Brett. Number three most intriguing game of this weekend. Uh, that legendary Big 12 battle, Baylor at BYU. Oh, wait, that's not until next year. Uh, Baylor at BYU. Uh, Baylor looked so impressive uh, in their dismantling of USF, although pretty much everybody dismantles USF. So <laughs> I guess we'll find out if <laughs> if the Cougars are for real. And Baylor, um, a lot of people didn't think they'd be able to run it back after winning the Big 12 last year one week sample they they've looked okay um i think we'll learn you know is one is baylor really going to contend for the big 12 championship again and is is byu um you know a a top 15 team if they can win this game i, I mean the problem with their last year being an independent is they basically got to go 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 to have any shot at getting in the playoffs and they still have games at Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, uh, at Stanford maybe is tricky, at Boise if they figure things out. So I don't think BYU is going to end up in the playoff, but certainly this would help help their um, <clears throat> help their image if, if they get a big win against a, you know, the defending Big 12 champ of the conference that they'll be moving into next year. Yeah, this is my number one game, and you're right. I think okay. it's yeah, and uh, I think you're right with the BYU situation. Like, I, I it, it's hard to imagine them going undefeated or only one loss against this schedule. But you know, you beat Baylor, and Oregon doesn't look that great. In other words, there's a chance to dream here, right? I mean, there's a chance for uh, you know the a, a magical season for BYU, and even if they don't win out and win all those games, there's still there's also, as you said, still a chance that they could just be a top you know 15 team or so, maybe even a top 10 or 12 team, and maybe a space somewhere in the New Year Six, right? Maybe there's a they they force their way into a New Year Six game. Game by simply you know knocking off some of these big teams, they also played last year, and Baylor actually was one of Baylor's more impressive wins because they they pulled away from BYU late in the game. Don't poke fun at me for being a gadget guy. You want lemon zest? I've got a zester. Gapping spark plugs? Let me grab my spark plug gauge. And for sure, I'm a Regions app guy when I need to check balances, deposit checks, make transfers, or make an appointment. Regions Tech is always at my fingertips. 
You need anytime access to your accounts. Regions gets it. So switch to Regions Life Green Checking for our highly rated app, online tools, and personal service that helps you live in the moment. Visit regions.com to learn more. Regions Bank member FDIC, equal housing lender. Okay, then. So now we get through Baylor BYU at number three for Brett. And your number two most intriguing game of the weekend is, I think this is actually maybe the same as my number one. So what's your number two? Kentucky at Florida. Kind of what I talked a little bit about earlier. Uh, you know, is Florida legit uh, top 10, top 15 team, unranked in the preseason? Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson is is the newest. Uh, we used to have award Heisman trophies in September. Now I guess we award them in August. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> you know, are they legit? And can they – can they come back after a big win against Utah? So much emotion, um, so much drama. You know, it's hard for kids to have the same level of play consecutive weeks. Kentucky, I think, has been undervalued and underappreciated nationally. Um, the job Mark Stoops has done there. Florida has owned this rivalry, but Kentucky uh, has stopped stopped the losing streak. And I think, you know, the win, obviously – very obvious here, but the winner of this game is at worst third best in the East behind Georgia and maybe Tennessee, perhaps only this could be the second best after Georgia. Um, so this is a huge game for anyone in the East that wants to have a chance to maybe upset Georgia and get to the SEC title game, because you're not going to, you're not going to do it. I think if you lose this game, because, you still have to be. You still have Georgia ahead of you. Yeah, and I think I actually said this was my number one. This is actually my number two. So we both agreed on this being number two, with my number one being Baylor and BYU. So let me let me stick with uh, sit here for a second with Kentucky and Florida, because the Anthony Richardson thing. I, I think a, a, my sense is a lot of people thought what I did going into this season. When you looked at Florida, you found yourself thinking like, boy, that Richardson kid. He could be really, really good. But we also haven't seen a lot of him, and it's a new coach, and there's turnover there, and this and that and the other thing. And as much as you might like Billy Napier, like I think that there was like a certain amount of caution around Florida and how good they could be and how good Richardson can be. But, like, man, you know, it's, again, it's only one game, so you don't want to go too crazy. But, like, this is a player who could, like, sort of, like, change everything. I mean, this is very much the difference between, you know, oh, they're going to go 6 and 6 or maybe 7 and 5 and go to a, you know, a mediocre bowl game and oh, maybe that looks like a team that might be able to challenge Georgia. I'm wondering like you're in Florida, so you're a lot closer to the Gators. Was what was the the thought about Richardson and maybe what was coming out of Gainesville about Richardson. Did Billy Napier try to sort of like keep, keep expectations down on him? Did he, they try to like almost like hide what they had, even though we knew that this guy was good. He played well last year in spurts for Mullen, but was there a general sense of like, you know what, we may have something big here, but we're not going to let on. Yeah, maybe I think a little bit of that. I actually talked to somebody in Gainesville the week of the, the Utah game and was asking, you know, what they thought about um, the Gators and the game specifically. And they they said, you know, that, you know, seeing Florida practice, they just didn't believe um, 
the talent was there. The roster was down a little bit um, from, you know, what we typically think of with Florida. And, you know, I don't, was Richardson able to overcome all that and kind of, you know, carry the Gators on his shoulders? I think that's part of it. Also, you know, to be very honest, Utah blew that game. They should have won that game, but they didn't. So, um, you know, yeah, Richardson is obviously <laughs> an unreal talent. And, you know, it's now that Dan Mullen is part of the ESPN crew and he's tweeting his SEC rankings and, <laughs> and college football playoff yeah. standings, he's learning what we all know is that um, you take there's a lot of incoming fire uh, from people on Twitter, especially when you're the coach at Florida and you really didn't plan that much. And um, yeah, but I don't know if, if, you know, Ralph purposely, they're like, let's keep this guy secret. I just think it's, you know, it was kind of like, you know, we know what we've got in this guy. We're confident in him. Um, but there, there was some, I don't want to say uncertainty, but there was some, you know, minor concerns about, you know, the, I think everyone agrees Napier will get, get this thing going there. I mean, heck he's hired approximately a thousand support staff members. Uh, but I think most people thought they were probably a year away. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe they're going to be better than people expected. Um, I think we'll find out, you know, Stoops, he can coach some defense. So we'll have to see how he attacks, attacks Richardson, um, you know, when they get together in Gainesville on Saturday. Yeah, I'm also interested to see how this this byplay pl- uh, works out between um, Florida and LSU because clearly LSU did not want to hire Billy Napier. They were not down with hiring the Louisiana Lafayette coach. They wanted to aim aim higher, so to speak, and, and land a big fish in Brian Kelly and the first weekend of the season, one school went one way and one school went the other. I don't think that means Brian Kelly's a bad coach. My sense is that that will get turned around there at LSU, but there's some work to do on that roster and some work to do within that building. Uh, obviously, I didn't again. I didn't think that was going to be a quick uh, a quick turnaround for Kelly, but I just I do think it's going to be interesting to see these two teams that play each other regularly, LSU and Florida, sort of staring at each other from across the country, going, "No, we got the better coach. No, we got the better coach." And and you could have had our coach, but you were too dumb to take our coach. You took that other coach. So uh, I, this this is just the very beginning of what could be several years of this. You know, who got the better end of the deal, LSU you were Florida and I'm all for that. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. We love nothing better than than bitter fans that are pissed off for being <laughs> snubbed for for some reason or another. So, did you think that the opening game that LSU uh, Florida State game cuz you know everybody loves to hate Kelly. I just like fans are just like sort of really gravitate towards wanting to see him suffer <laughs> for whatever reason. I mean, I can think of some of the reasons, but for whatever reason, he is definitely a villain, a villain, a, a villainous figure in college football. Uh, but again, like, you know, it wasn't a great game, but I, I didn't find myself being like, oh, my God, this is how could LSU be so unprepared? What a terrible hire. This is this is a um, a foreboding. This is just, a you know, um a sign, a foreboding sign of things to come in the Kelly regime. Like, 
I don't know. I mean, I see some of that out there, and I, I think fans and some folks in the media are inclined to sort of that hyperbole. But I just sort of shrugged and was like, man, they had 37 scholarship players at the end of last year. What did we expect this to look like? No, I agree. And, I mean, it's it's human nature, but it's like, you know, because Kelly is the villain in a lot of people's minds, um, you know, people are going to pile on or, you know, bring up the, you know, his – changing accent, all those sort of things. And, you know, they, yeah, they lose that game. And I think what made this stick out to me more than anything is last year's Fiesta Bowl. I mean, Notre Dame blew that game in the second half. Oklahoma State came out of nowhere and beat Notre Dame. What was the reaction from the Notre Dame fan base? Oh, it was only Marcus Freeman's first game. Let's give him a chance. Well, you know, he'll turn it around and figure it out. That's fine. I have no issues with that. Now imagine Brian Kelly would have lost that game, similar to losing the game to Florida State. Then it's coming out, oh, they weren't prepared. Who's the special teams coach? Why, you know, why are they doing this? You know, he's he's a bad hire, all that. It's like, again, it goes back to human nature. People like Marcus Freeman. A lot of people don't like Brian Kelly for whatever reason. So that's, I think, how they reacted. Um, but, I, yeah, I – I actually am dumb enough to think that Brian Kelly's going to win a national championship at LSU. It, it, um, not it, it this year, probably me. not next year. Yeah. The last three coaches there have won a national championship. And you can do your own judge on how good of coaches those guys were, not named Nick Saban, but the Kelly will have the athletes and he will turn it around. It's one game, again, two Two muff punts, and that's a totally different game, but it's part of the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand the, the blowback. I don't think it's fair, but a lot of things in life aren't fair, but he's that's kind of that's kind of how it is right now. Yeah, you know, when he's getting paid enough to deal with the blowback, so that's okay. Nobody's going to – Nobody should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he's not losing any sleep. Nobody should have feel too bad about Brian Kelly just because there are a bunch of people on social media being mean to him. Um the, the And the one last thing about that, and I did want to bring up Florida State here for a second. You know, like, they looked a lot better than they had the last couple of years, but they did get a couple of breaks, and they also handed LSU a couple of breaks to get back in that game. So both teams sort of did that, no, you win, no, you win, no, I don't want to win, no, you win the game. So they went back and forth trying to hand it to each other a little bit there. But I, I will say this. I, I, I do suspect after a, a, several years of a lot of negativity and a lot of bad breaks and a lot of woe is me at Florida State, maybe having one of these games where you get the break and you get to 2-0 and and you can sort of feel good about yourself, I, I don't know if it's a breakthrough or a turning point, but I do wonder if it just lifts some of the 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 pressure and negativity off a program that has been so gripped in it for the last couple of years and gives Norvell and those players a chance to go, okay, I think we might be good. Let's just go about our business and we don't have to have like, it's not a circus around here in Tallahassee for a, a week of like, what is his buyout and what are you guys going to do? And can you get Dion? You know, like it's just, it just becomes like a, a it <laughs> I, just, I do wonder if there's just like a, 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 something that helps to just lift it, lift the load off that team after what has been four years of just, you know, one negative thing after another. Yeah. It's funny. I'd have uh... SEC coach uh, texted me 
last December and said they heard a rumor that Dion was was taken over. Obviously, that wasn't true, but um, yeah, that stuff swirls all over. You know, it, that, that huge was win for Norvell. You know, you look at it now; they can be four and zero, and then they have really tough three games stretch. Wake, who got Sam Hartman back today at NC State, Clemson. Then they still have the, the back end of the schedule at Miami and then Florida last game of the year. So that, that was a huge win for them. Um, I know the guys that do our analytics and power ratings um, at Action Network before the season, this surprised me. They had Florida State in their top 20 based on, you know, returning production, all mm-hmm. these different, you know, fancy words for analytics. So at least uh, – on those factors, they rated Florida State very highly. So perhaps this is the year they break through and kind of reverse the curse of the last few years that you mentioned about. And, and I hope so. I think Norvell is a good coach. I think he was put in a tough situation. He had the player, you know, I don't want to call it a revolt, but the pushback um, from a season or two ago. And, um, you know, their numbers were down too with, with Taggart leaving after one year. So, or two years actually. So, I think they're going to be vastly improved, and I think they they needed they needed that win a hundred times more than LSU did. No doubt, because I think LSU can overcome that, and I don't think people are expecting much out of LSU. The win total I think was five and a half or six, so at least the biggest expert is looking at LSU as is a five hundred team this year. I think a lot more is expected out of Florida State. Okay, so that was again we we did Kentucky and Florida. Um, and I had Baylor and BYU as number one. So, Brett McMurphy, what is the most intriguing game of the weekend, according to Brett McMurphy? Uh, Tennessee at Pittsburgh, uh, probably surprisingly. Uh, a a little bit, but but you know, fun. Tennessee, Tennessee's ranked yeah. now, too. Yeah, is Tennessee for real? I mean, they, they routed Ball State, Pitt. You know, surprised they were that leaky on defense, but they did win the backyard brawl. Now they've got to come back after a huge rivalry game. Are they going to be able to do that? Um, last year, Pitt went into Tennessee and won. Can Tennessee return the favor? Um, apparently, odds makers think they, they can because Tennessee's uh, somewhere close to a seven-point favorite, maybe not that high, at Pitt. Um, you know, before the year, projected win totals for the SEC teams, this surprised me. Tennessee was had the fourth highest projected win total behind only Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. So certainly the, the experts think this is going to be a solid year for Tennessee. Um, show it on the field. That's what I want to see. And certainly a, a win at defending ACC champ Pitt would go a long way for the Vols. And then two weeks later, Florida comes to town um, in that rivalry game. And then later on, they get Alabama in Knoxville after the week after the Alabama A&M game, grudge match. Mm. Um, so could they, not that Alabama's ever flat, but it could be a, you know, maybe a dead spot for the tide. So things may set up for Tennessee really well if they can take care of take care of Pitt in the stadium formerly known as Heinz Field. 
Yeah, you know, last year Pick goes into uh, Knoxville and beats him with Kenny Pickett. Now Keaton Slovis and that offense showed some life. They're they're doing some things a little differently than they did last year uh, and run the ball a little more, which is, you know, a Pat Narduzzi staple, even though they were really successful throwing the ball last year. You kind of come, come kind of remind Pat, as much as maybe he had a problem with Mark Whipple, they did win the ACC last year and you had a first-round draft pick quarterback. <laughs> Narduzzi is an odd as an odd guy. I love, I love the fact that he he is the the character he is because we need more coaches like that in college football. You just sort of say what they what's on their mind and are not uh, afraid of ruffling the feathers of either their former, you know, employees or other coaches. He sort of tweaked Neil Brown after the backyard brawl last week for not going on a fourth down. Uh, so love his personality, though sometimes wonder exactly what's coming out of that mouth. Um, yeah, interesting game. And then he 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 rips ESP he rips ESPN on he rips ESPN, ESPN after ESPN just televised the game. So that was a beauty. But yeah, I, I love I love Pat too, and I, I talked to him at ACC Media Days, and he he wasn't he wasn't shy about it. He wants to run the ball. He felt like they threw the ball too much last year, and you're right. Okay, you threw it, but you won the ACC. But yeah, Narduzzi's a, a character. And, I love him too. Yeah, and this should be a fun game too. Because listen, Slovis is pretty good, and they don't have Jordan Addison and Pickett. I understand, but they they probably will be able to score some points. And the one thing Tennessee has not proven, as much as the offense has been awesome under Heupel and Hendon Hooker, who's turned out to be a hell of a player. And some good receivers there and Cedric Tillman. I mean, like, there's a lot to like there, but they also haven't really proven that they can stop anybody, anybody who watched that Music City Bowl last year with Purdue and and their fifth-string receivers going up and down the field. Uh, you have, <laughs> still have some questions about Tennessee's defense. It'll be interesting to see if, if Pitt can take care of that as well. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good slate. It, it's not, again, it's not like the like this marquee weekend. We'll, we'll have other weeks during the season where you're just going to be like, Man, there's so much at stake and so much on the line. It's definitely not that, but there are a lot of interesting games that have a chance to be a lot of fun. And I would just recommend to everybody and to Brett, maybe sleep in a little bit. Maybe don't wake up exactly for the beginning of game day because Baylor and BYU kick off pretty late. And so do Mississippi State and Arizona. So we're all going to have to stay up late this weekend. So maybe, again, try to sleep a little late on Saturday because you're going to have to stay up late to watch the best games. Ralph, you don't stay up every night for the for the Hawaii games? <laughs> I'm, you didn't listen, stay up for Western Kentucky, Hawaii last week? You and I have to stay up. It's what we do. It's, we do it for a living. But I'm just saying, like, for, for, for most fans, I got to think at some point they look at Pac-12 after dark and go, like, am I in or out on this? And then, of course, there are the ones who are gambling, and they're definitely up. <laughs> so. uh, yes, of course. And Hawaii's at Michigan this week, so no, no midnight uh, kick. From the island. Yeah, no Hawaii chaser this week. Unfortunately, they're on the, the mainland getting probably getting messed up by Michigan. So, hey, Brett, thank you so much. Brett McMurphy from the Action Network. You can find his bull projections and his breaking news on his on Twitter and at the Action Network. And he does a great job. He is my friend. And maybe I will see you in a few days at a playoff meeting or maybe I will see you at a uh, press box down the road. Possibly one of those two things. I hope so, Ralph. I think the last time I saw you was at Harry and Izzy's when you were uh, big-timing me with some other folks. But, yeah, I look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road. 
That's questionable. That's a very questionable uh, <laughs> questionable assessment of that situation, that who is big time and who. Brett, always great job. <laughs> always good talking to you and great job today on the pod. Thank you so much. And now three now. First down. Big news for Wake Forest, as I think Brett mentioned during our conversation, and good news for college football in general. Deke's quarterback, Sam Hartman, has already been medically cleared to return to action after an unspecified condition sidelined him in the preseason. What exactly Hartman is dealing with is unknown. But when you hear non-football medical condition that required him to have a procedure, it's tough not to start thinking worst-case scenarios here. Fortunately, though, that doesn't appear to be the case. The 23rd-ranked Demon Deacons play at Vandy on Saturday. No word on whether Hartman will play. He is only listed as available to play. But his return overall does set up nicely for Clemson's visit to Winston-Salem later this month. Second down, I have a couple more must-see or at least must-check-in-on games for this weekend. Iowa State at Iowa. The Hawkeyes have dominated the rivalry, which tends to be decided by turnovers and special teams because, as you know, offense is really not Iowa's thing these days. Try to catch at least a little of Washington State and transfer quarterback Cam Ward against Wisconsin. I know a lot of people are really high on the Cougars. I'm a little more cautious. The offensive scheme and Ward could be really fun, but I'm not sure that roster is built to withstand a quality Big Ten opponent. Lastly, North Carolina escaped one Sun Belt road trip last week at App State. Can they do it again this week at Georgia State? Third down, I wrote a column over the weekend about how the college football playoff expanding will fundamentally change the sport on the field and off. I will link to it in the show notes. I absolutely get that some people will not like expansion, do not want expansion. They think the 12-teamer will take some of the high-risk do-or-die element away from the regular season. That is absolutely the case. The trade-off is more games having meaning, so it tends to be a quantity over quality argument that I'm good with in order to improve a postseason that has had a lot of life sucked out of it in recent years. But I get why some people do not want expansion, and I respect that opinion. What I can live without is the attitude I get from some of those who push back on expansion that they believe they are the truest of college football fans, guardians of the game protecting the sport from those who want to steal its purity. Please spare me. Something new is usually met with resistance, and then fans adjust, and we realize the sport can still be great, even if it's great in a different way. Across all sports, there are fans who lament the way it used to be and how back in their day, things were better. I just shrug those fans off because there will now be a generation of fans who grow up and get used to this way of doing things. And in 10 years, maybe more, maybe a little less even, they'll look back and think, boy, the way they used to hold a playoff and determine a national champion, that was really dumb. Things change. We'll all be fine. And it if it drives you away from the sport, I can assure you that you won't be missed. There will be plenty of new fans to replace you. You're not that important. None of us really are. But I also know, for the most part, a new playoff 
isn't going to drive fans away, just like NIL and the transfer portal and all those other things won't really drive most fans away. It's just giving y'all something to complain about because you like to complain. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. And come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.